You're listening to Two Sides of Phi, a podcast that follows two lifelong friends as they seek financial independence and to retire early. I'm Eric, and I'm joined by my friend Jason, who reached Phi in 2020. And this is our story. I listen to a ton of podcasts on like fire podcasts. I don't know if you okay. do or not. I um, used to. And as I'm listening to all these podcasts, the thing I want to know most is what's the number? <laughs> right. Why do you think that is? I, I don't know because it's, I guess it's the most tangible thing, right? It's like, how much money do I need? <laughs> Right. To do this, because I hear a lot of things and percentages and whatever's and different kinds of fire. But like at the end of the day, it boils down to a number. Like how much do I actually need to accumulate? What's my target? Yeah. Um, and how confident am I in that? I, I think that's why it's at the center of everything, so at least we, for me. OK, so what's your number? <laughs> <laughs> I think at the end of the day, the absolute number is just a part of an equation. And the part of the equation that actually matters is how much do you want to spend or be able to spend in a given year? And be able to project that. And it's got a perpetuity angle to it, right? You're thinking about like, oh, how much am I going to need next year? That's pretty easy to predict versus, well, how about 30 years from right. now? What's my spending going to be like? And so well, I think a lot of people spend time worrying about that. But my worldview is, uh, I think, uh, in alignment with a lot of people in the fire community. And that is, well, let's plan for the stuff we know because almost everything either stays the same or goes down. There are things that go up to offset that, right? Long-term healthcare costs. Well, I was going to say healthcare. Example. Yeah, that's a big unknown. <laughs> true. This is true, but most people also, in their model, assume something coming from Social Security, even though that mm -hmm. is a big unknown that I'm sure we're going to talk about. So I tend to to think about the number mostly in terms of what do you actually need and want to have on an annual basis in today dollars. Because everything just comes from that. Even that what you're going to spend this year is so personalized, right? Where do you want to live? If you're going to do kind of expat thing, go live low, low cost of living area, Ecuador, yeah. you know, Panama, Thailand, things like that. Well, your living expenses are so different than if you choose to stay uh, in a state like California, where you have a higher cost of living, you have state income tax, you have, you know, all those things to think about. Yeah. So it's a very personalized decision. And I suspect it's an area that, it's pretty mixed how much people think about it. For us, we were pretty sure we were going to stay in the West Coast or the Northwest. So, yeah. you know, Lori and I nailing that down in the last couple of years before we, we you know, tapped out was a really important step in figuring out that number. Yeah. Where are you going to live is a big part of that. The, yeah. I think that number is the most important. And then the other number that goes into the number is your withdrawal rate. And that, I think, has to do with your risk uh, tolerance because you hear a lot about this 4% rule, you know, from the Trinity economic study that the fire community rallies around, uh, for good reason, but it's also got a risk tolerance aspect to it. I, I you know, for me, like I'm never going to pick like the most common number that everybody says, because I'm going to go a little below it because it makes me feel more confident. And, and, and I think Lori would agree that that that's better for everybody. Yeah. If I'm a little more confident and I'm a little more conservative cause I'm going to sleep well. So, so what's your number? So my withdrawal rate, um, <laughs> I had, no, what's at, your number, man. <laughs> okay. When I, you and I first had this conversation, I remember just like I was standing out in the driveway, Laura was in here working or something. And I, when we were talking about this and you know, the, just this initial idea of, uh, financial independence was kind of starting to form in my mind. And there's some just real basic 
math that you do. Right. But there's the math part to this. And then there's also like this kind of psychology. Yeah, exactly. I love that part. It was one of the first things that made me excited about this because you can do the math quickly 25 times, whatever you think you're going to need in a year. And like, I mean, I started at some unreasonably low figure, but you know, if you start with that standard, like if I think about the retirement number, um, like a million dollars was always this kind of large sum of money to me. Right. Yeah. Most of us, I think in the abstract, but then when you start doing the numbers there, like that equates to actually what in terms of an annual spend, like 40,000. Yeah. So (laughs) you look at 40,000 and then I started comparing that to like, you know, how we live now and what we spend every month. And I was like, okay, well, that's not going to work. Right. So there is, I mean, what, can we put some boundaries around this? Because you and I, I know your number, you know, my number and, and everyone watching this probably wants to know both of those. So can we put some, some guardrails around this? Well, you correct me if you think I got it wrong, but I think (laughs) there's three big buckets of fire classification. And then there's some interesting cuts on that that people do. Yeah. So I think the one that maybe gets a bad rep, but is also really popular, but is what many people think about, especially boomers, when they think about fire is lean fire. These are folks who are often saving very large percentage of their income now in their 20s and 30s, right? 60, 70, 80% sometimes, and are planning on living more modestly, right? So that's like below $40,000 a year, maybe a million dollars or so, or below in many cases, right. total assets. Yeah. To uh, and, and they use the 4% rule, and that's how we got to those kind I mean, of figures, you, right? You said like boomer, but I, I would tend to think this is like more, this skews way younger, right? And I, I, oh, I mean, they're the ones who complain about it, right? When I've talked about fire at work with some of my older peers who are in that demographic, okay. not Gen X like you and I, yeah, they tend to immediately go to the guys like living in RVs or maybe okay. this is the Bay Area thing, right? These software engineers living in their RVs, saving every <laughs> penny they make so they can live on 25 grand. Okay. And then they'll find out that they hate that. And what they really did was they just hated working, right? So that that th- kind of attitude. Okay, that's so what that's like lean fire is that yeah. kind of range... 40,000 and below. Is that what you're saying? Typically, that's where I see it to find. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's pretty reasonable. I would agree with that. And then maybe that one to two and a half or so million range is more traditional fire. Okay. Kind of that annual spending, obviously, as we talked about, changes a lot depending on where people live. The annual spend there would be between 40 and 100,000. 100K. Yeah. Something like that. Plus or minus, right? Which I think most people would agree, right? Except in very high cost of living areas, right? A hundred thousand a year to live on in retirement sounds pretty great. Yeah. And it's a pretty attractive proposition for most people, right? Yeah. I would agree. So I'm gonna get through the buckets and then I'm gonna ask you where you where you land. <laughs> okay. I'm prepared yeah, I think to the other answer, end of the unlike is, you, man. The other end of the spectrum is interesting because I think, you know, you see a lot about it online, but you don't hear it talked about in the same context, right? The so called fat fire. And that that tends to be five million plus. Okay. Um, as far as I've seen, uh, you know, you hear lots, you see lots of hand waving online about the, these folks, and is that really fire anymore? Well, if they're retiring early, I guess it is. Um, and, and then some people put kind of a, a a piece in between those, which is where I think you and I both land, and that's that maybe two million to five million. Yeah. Um, and and maybe this is more popular among uh, people with kind of a, you know, from a technical field or, or something of that nature, they're able to amass 
that kind of sum and still retire at an at an earlier point. So right. that's still a pretty big range, obviously, right? But would you agree that's where both you and I fit in that kind of two to five million dollar range? Yeah, I would. And it wasn't always <laughs> where I where I saw myself fitting, but you know, it is it's definitely there now. And and so so I've referred to that. I've heard that referred to as like chubby fire. I have is, too. In fact, there's a subreddit just for chubby fire. Now. Okay. So, and, and maybe you're the one who sent that to me, but <laughs> might have, I spend way too much time on Reddit, but there's all, and there are all these kind of gradations in between. And yeah. I mean, the way I see those gradations, they're just kind of, they're, they're almost more lifestyle based, right? Yes. Because like coast fire yeah. is the idea Tell of about that. coast fire determines your target retirement savings and a target retirement age. And then you're simply going to come up with an amount of money that is going to grow yes. with an average estimated annual return over time so that when you reach that target age, you will have those target retirement savings. Uh, but you're sort of relying on that interest and compounding to help you coast into yes. the future, which seems, in my opinion, to be the most terrifying version of, of yeah. this whole thing altogether because you just don't know future returns are, are never a guaranteed thing but um, for sure I, and I they're still working right to cover present expenses they're at least doing some kind of work often part-time okay right? is that another dimension of that i didn't i wasn't it is okay. it is and then then you have barista fire who that's what i who, thought barista fire they, was. but they do tap out but they take a, you know, whether it's a working at a coffee shop or otherwise, some kind of income okay. to supplement so that they can withdraw a lower percentage yeah. of their total portfolio because they don't have enough to draw 4%, for example. So do you know any anybody in any of these positions? I mean, you're, you are, you know, a fire example, right? Yeah. So, I mean, have you connected with other people that are doing any one of these things? In terms of like personal friends who are already over the line, yeah, no. I think the traditional to lean seem to be the most heavily represented. And, and the people I know yeah. who are thinking about it are on that end of the spectrum. Okay. Right, who are working towards it but are still pre, pre-fi. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Because I mean the, the, the fat fire seems to select for high net worth individuals or high income earners of any age, right? Yeah. The lean fire seems to select for much younger. And then you have, of course, the, the, the bell curve, the traditional sort of maybe chubby end is this, the sort of center bolus of people that are considering fire. So I think I guess we fit on the sort of we skew to the right side of the long tail on that. Right. I think that's true. Yeah. Yeah. So so you had mentioned that your perspective had changed was that uh or at least your position your targets had changed was that just about business growth or something else that caused you to rethink where you're going to land in all this this is kind of an interesting discussion for me because you do that early math and you start looking at the numbers and i'm not someone who likes to budget <laughs> no you don't I, I you just, made that very clear to me yeah and when you start earning more i yeah i just feel like the freedom that that buys you is the ability not to have to care about cost anymore. And so that has some good aspects to it and some bad aspects to it, right? A uh, lot less accountability, a uh, lot less, you know, the optics on your monthly spending, much lower. And so you really encouraged me to look at that annual budget and just say, you really ought to consider everything that you're actually spending because, you know, that stuff gets away from you. And so I've been doing that, like, 
begrudgingly, <laughs> but <laughs> it allowed me to see that, you know, what I had initially started at, which was like 1.25, 1.5 million. I was thinking I could probably make that work. You know, when I look at what we're spending right now, like what we spent this past year, it doesn't even work for that. And we didn't have travel in there. And so it really did that budgeting exercise for as much as I hated doing it. It yeah. really did highlight this idea that I don't want to retire, become financially independent only to like sit at home and like have to watch the birds or something. Just something. Well, I think that's the right idea. If your <laughs> yeah. goal wasn't to sit and watch the birds, you better have enough budget to do beyond that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> no, we're in agreement on that. But it's weird because I mean, if I think about the, the lifestyle that I would want, like I could, man, I could be well into fat fire with that kind of lifestyle, you know? So there's some, like, I don't know that I would trade that for working another 20 years, yeah. you know? And that's the real question in here. And that's why there's the math and you got to do the basic math part, but then like, you know, the sort of psychology of it and what kind of life you want to have in retirement is really hard for me to pin down. How did you determine what that was? I mean, I, I know you have a very specific way of spending, but like, I mean, does that leave any room for future changes? Like how much contingency or latitude do you build into a budget? Budgeting, to be clear, is not something I've done for the long term. I was always a person who hit my saving targets, right? Paid myself, paid my bills, and then everything else I didn't think about. So as long as I was meeting my obligations to myself, our portfolio, and our people who we owe money to, right, utilities and stuff, I could do whatever I wanted with the rest. Yeah. Over time, we got better about saving more and thinking a little bit more about that equation because we had a target, right, we wanted to get to, especially once we figured out the number. But what I did for um, about a year before I left work was figured out what we spend in more detail, like really looked and I, you know, I had used mint and things like that over time, not something I put a ton of energy into, but I had some level of tracking, right? So at least I could figure out an estimate of what it should look like. And then Laurie and I talked about it, right? How much do we think we want to spend on vacation a year? Obviously, it's all pre-COVID. We had no thoughts to that. But what do we want to spend, right? And but how do how you much figure do that out? We, we, talk, we talked a lot about it. And I know how much we've spent on trips historically. But again, like, what, because using does it mint leave, and stuff? like, does it leave room for you mm. want to go? I don't know. I mean, it's, I, to be honest, it's one of the most difficult things I've found to figure out. And I'm kind of avoiding having the conversation at some points with Laura, because, yeah. you know, if, when we reach this point, we want to be able to leave Maine, say in the winter. Right. And I, you know, just leave the house as is. Yeah. And want to go rent a place in, say, Costa Rica or the Bahamas or whatever it is, right? And um, how do you figure out what that looks like? And how do you figure out what that looks like in five years' time? Like, how do you even project what that would be? I mean, it's it's scary yeah. to me, which is why I, I mean, it's one of the primary drivers of you know doubling and maybe tripling the the um, annual spend that I had in mind because. It's, I need more confidence that the number is just going to work. You know, it's yeah. speaking to your point, but also that I don't want to retire into something. I don't want to take the next step and walk into something that's just not that much fun. 
know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I at least know how I did, I did it. Doesn't mean it's the right way. All right. How'd you I do made, it? First of all, I make a lot of conservative assumptions, right? I assume like there will be no social security. Yes, right? me too. I, I assume I'm going to keep paying the same health care premiums I'm paying now out of pocket until I'm 65. Okay. It's not going to get any better, right? It's, it's what it is today. Um, but that's based uh, on income too. It is. And that <laughs> that is the one that I really don't have great advice on. That's a lot really. of people. It's so predicting income and that's not the easiest thing. Right. And but, so and no that has a major impact on what you pay for a premium. So for someone like does. me who has a business and let's say you've built up a set of passive income streams and like maybe it's rental properties, maybe it's something else like that's income that's going to be actually increasing your health insurance premium. And at least here in the U.S. Um, and if it's unpredictable, man, that's that's one of the scariest parts of this whole thing. It is. And and for sure, I actually I'll be interested in hearing how it is for the two of you, because I know like Lori doesn't tend to think a lot about those. What ifs, those worst cases? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I do. I, and do I, I'll too. Admit, I wouldn't say I agonize over them, but I think about them a lot. And it's one of the reasons I'm happy that because of market performance last year, my withdrawal rate is actually much lower than my target. I had told you, you know, I was, yeah. I think, I don't even know if you let me say it. I was kind of three, three and a half percent yeah. of portfolio was my, was my top end and I'm below three. Yeah. That's crazy. Drawing. And that's awesome. And that's the market doing the market stuff. Um, I guess a couple things make me feel better and, and, and maybe this is some of the benefit I, I have gotten from historically, working with financial advisors, which again, not everybody's decision, not something you have to do. But for me, like it makes me feel good having the CFO sitting next to me when I'm the CEO of my organization, right? Checking me on the finances. Yeah. But they'll say things like, well, yeah, you're going to have years that are better. You're going to have years that are worse. Are you willing to adjust in a terrible year? Yeah, that's a good I point. That's a good point. Most people would say yes to that, right? Yeah. If like, if you had some terrible loss, uh, you know, when you were still working, uh, you would still change your spending to deal with that, totally, right? Whatever yeah. it is. And it's no different when you're not working. But it's it's you, less that to me and more, well, just just take the example of when I was 20, in my 20s, yep. I could live on a lot less money. But now sure. in my 40s, I'm pretty comfy here, right? <laughs> What's it going to feel like in my yeah. 60s? You know, what if I want to spend twice what I'm budgeting Right now, that's the scary part to me. Like, what if I? I don't yeah. know. <laughs> I, don't I don't know, know what that looks like. But I don't I'm. Know if any of them are good. I don't but know it if feels. Any of them are good. Uh, hold on. It okay. feels like a permanent choice I'm making based on a set of information right now, <laughs> and I realize that's that's all you can do, right? But I know you've done some like more complex kind of modeling scenarios. Like, is I haven't done any of the Monte Carlo analysis for my stuff, okay. and maybe that's kind of short-sighted of me, but can you talk about, you came up with a number and you did it by setting up all these buckets and you said, I'm going to, you know, attribute 10 grand a year to vacations. I don't know. This is, this is a hypothetical yeah. number, but 10 to vacations. And you did it even down to like the amount you're saving for like birthday gifts and Christmas or whatever it is, right? Like a like crazy number of buckets that you have. So I haven't done it to that level yeah. of granularity, but you set you set that budget and you then set a withdrawal rate that you were comfortable yep. with. And I presume you did that based on 
these kind of analysis tools, right? Because the withdrawal, that's the thing that proves whether or not your number is going to be survivable in like 90% of the cases or 98% of the cases. Can you talk about that? First of all, the only reason I did my budget down to those fine buckets was just like, it's primarily a brainstorming exercise. Like what do we actually spend or what's a typical month look like, or how much do we want to be able to spend on, you know, beer and wine in a month? I mean, the reason we did that stuff was to actually put some weight behind what we were doing. Cause if we just kind of, you know, finger to the wind, yeah, I know that's, I know. Right. you know, it's not going to work. <laughs> but how much so of a contingency just, did you put on top of that? So yeah, I would say there's still plenty in there. And I think the contingencies that I worry about are more the, the unknown unknowns, right. To, to steal a phrase. And that's where the sinking funds come in. So I, as we've discussed before, I pay us every month from our Fidelity money market account. You know, we have a fixed amount coming every month and we could change that. Of course, we, we could lower it if we started earning more income, for example. But of that money that I take in a month, I don't spend all that money. Some of it actually goes into funds that are not getting spent. And that's for the, the things you can't predict. Yeah. And what like, percentage is that? That's what I'm asking. I don't have that sheet. <laughs> Roughly 10 percent, 50 I mean, how, like, how confident it's are you? It's probably, your... it's probably like 10%. All right. So you're pretty confident in your plan. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's 15%. Okay. It's not that much. And I also allocate money to be spent on vacations. You don't really year. budget, do you, man? You're kind of a little liar about this. I do budget. <laughs> I, so here's the value I see in budgeting. I want to see what I'm spending on a given month. I don't look at every expense and say, well, we've overspent on groceries. I guess Dude, we better you, cut back the food. I know you I do. don't. I know I you don't. say that to Lori. No, I don't. Oh, you bought too much chicken food this month or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, pets is something we put an estimate around. Like, oh, you know, we've got pet food because we have like a freaking zoo here. <laughs> uh, pet food, vet, you know, vet visits, you know, whatever. Like, just put some <laughs> number on it. And we don't spend that every month. But – Another month, we would spend some of that. So it, I don't know. We, you put buffers around. So at the end of the day, you could just put one giant buffer around your whole thing, or you could figure out some kind of things by category. I mean, either way, it's a bottoms up or a top down. It doesn't really matter. It's like any <laughs> other budgeting exercise you do uh, uh. In, in business. Uh, I chose to do a bottoms up, uh, zero-based budget, yeah. right? Uh, but that, that just that happened to give me confidence, all that math. But so anyway, back to your question. We have buffers around everything. We have amounts in there. You can only know as much as you can know. There is some faith in there, but do I keep some other? Yeah, I keep some other money around, right? I have roughly six months of expenses just for contingencies that I'm not planned for, if you will, right? Suddenly you need a new roof or whatever. Yeah. Um, whatever, you're going to take an extra trip that year. But you tested this. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I tested the number. It, it's got to be like 10 different ways. There's a lot of good tools out there. Just one off the top of my head, Seafire Sim, yeah. uh, free tool. Another one. Uh, I think I looked at Seafire Sim and it seemed like I had to put in a lot of information. You need to put uh, your annual expenses, right? How much you want to spend in a year. You need to put the total size of your portfolio. And it does let you put percentages in there for stocks versus bonds versus cash oh, okay. or gold for those of you that like precious metals, things like that. Um, and if you want to model Social Security, you can just take the number right out of your statement that you get online and put that in there and the age that you think you'll start uh, collecting for you and your spouse. 
And that's essentially it. There's lots of other parameters you okay. can mess around so with. So I was just looking at it. I, I must have just been overwhelmed by how the the yeah. level of that I could tune it to. And I don't, uh, it's it's more the the broad brush. Like, am I in the right zone here? And then yeah. you, when you run this, it basically spits out like just a modeling of with this set of information, knowing you saved, let's say you saved $2 million and your withdrawal rate was 5%. This is the chance of it working given what all the data we have for the stock market? Yes, exactly. Okay. And and for basically, depending on the type of Monte Carlo model, they do some kind of permutation, generally looking at actual performance of the stock market, but they'll either take like windows of time, like if your retirement is 30 years long, they'll just yeah. take different 30-year windows. Okay. Some of them permute the whole thing, like they just say, Okay, in this model, it's 1939 followed by 2000 followed by 1986, and they just do a bunch of different simulations of those. Yeah, yeah. And so I've done a variety of those different tools. Um, NewRetirement.com is another one that is free unless you want their other value-added stuff. So you have all these different ways of looking at it, and, and like you said, they come out with a percentage, like a likelihood success. Uh -huh. This succeeded in 80% of the different permutations we tried. So what's so, yours? Uh, depends on the model, but uh, if I assume Social Security exists in some form, it's north of ninety percent. Okay. Uh, Is that hard to does, get to? Like, did, did you fine tune your number based on that? Um, did I fine tune it? I would say <laughs> we definitely started with like a ballpark number that was maybe a little low, and we adjusted a little bit up from there. Um, based on the stuff we were seeing. Because I started running those numbers only a couple of years in advance, honestly. <laughs> well, um, your number is maybe, higher than mine, so you're probably running years. it on my number. <laughs> you jerk. <laughs> is is no, there something I, well, you want to tell me now? <laughs> well, here's the thing, man. You know, when you talk about like worry and confidence, like I pulled the trigger last June. Yeah. And about a month ago, I started running numbers again. I, I don't know what, I honestly, Eric, don't know what made me start to get nervous. My tendency here is to keep adjusting up. And I'll, I'll tell you, we, we went to have dinner with friends of ours, you know, a couple of weeks ago and they're getting ready to retire. And, you know, we were talking about numbers, just ballpark numbers kind of thing. And and we mentioned our number, what, what we had in mind. And they're like, oh my God, I'd never... I'd never retire on that money. Yeah. And it for as convinced as I've been and Laura's been about that number, it gives you pause. You know? It does. And and I turned around and said, Well, this is how we thought about it. And this was the withdrawal rate that we used, and that's how we landed that number. I said, How did you determine your number? And they said, yeah. Well, we don't have one. Right. But they were immediately dismissive of like all the math that yeah. that went into. I think that's common, Eric. I've run into that before. A couple months ago, I was running simulations for whatever reason, right? You got all, you got lots of free time. You're gonna fill it, and sometimes I fill it by <laughs> running simulations because I'm an idiot. Um, so I was running simulations, and I was really happy with what I was seeing. And I was like, you know, something that would probably be worth doing is having a, a, another third party look at this, right? Because I, as I've said, I worked with financial advisors, but obviously it's their strategy that we worked on together. So they're, they're pretty confident in it. So I was like, let's just get some other person to look at it. So I found another certified financial planner uh, and CFA, right? Someone who really understands the, the numbers here and the, <laughs> the different types of instruments available to you. I'm like, yeah, have a look at this. Here's my plan. What do you think? Here's what we're doing right now. And they came back like, 
hmm, this is very risky. You're probably 45% likelihood of success. I was like, what's 45? I was like, I have run this 10 different ways. I have paid other people to look at this. There's no way that's right. And I immediately started demanding, like, how? what are the factors in your Monte Carlo simulation? <laughs> and it turned out, like, they didn't know how it worked. Oh, so, oh. thankfully, I gave this person very little money to do this analysis, <laughs> and that probably tells you everything you need to know. Uh-huh. Yeah. They went out to the vendor they use, and they didn't get a good explanation as to how oh. it works. So, honestly, I threw that simulation out the window. And that's <laughs> I, not I actually awesome thought, rock with that person, but, man, it made me nervous. I actually thought this was, like, some kind of prior workmate of yours or is some kind of happy hour that you were in and you guys were ta- throwing numbers out and someone said, Oh, no way would I retire in that amount. <laughs> well, I haven't, to be fair, I haven't had too many conversations with friends and former colleagues about the number. I- I've told so few people because I don't know, I have so many thoughts on this and this would be great to get your feelings on. Cause you've talked a little bit about reactions to even just the concept of fire, yeah, yeah. but, and you just talked about sharing the number with, with just one couple, but <laughs> yeah. I have all kinds of thoughts about not sharing it on one side for people living more modestly. It's like, it sounds like, Oh, look how much money you have. Yeah, it like, sounds like a flex. Like, yeah. Sounds like a flex. And Jesus, I, I don't like peacocking, right? That's not my thing. Totally. On the other end of the spectrum is people who are like, well, that's not nearly enough. And I mean, let's, I'm going to make you defend that number now. Cause it's garbage. <laughs> I just don't really want to have those conversations. Uh, honestly, I'm I more comfortable it. having those a little more anonymized. I have them on, on Reddit yeah. in my, not even my, my standard account. I have one where I just talk about numbers with the, but that's me. Oh. Like I get really uncomfortable fast. Not to mention not wanting to, you know, personally identify, you know, I don't know. People will dock you over anything these days. So I'm really cautious about details. But anyhow, um, I don't know. It probably harkens back to childhood, right? Talking about money is so weird for me still. I mean, you you said this to me last time we talked. I we realized at some point we've been talking for months about this and we had not shared our number with each other. And that's just dumb. I mean, well, why did we do that? Because I don't know. I mean, you you think you, you shared with me, I think at the end of last year. So you texted me January 1st. You're like, did you do your net worth statement? I was like, of course I did. You know, (laughs) like you and I had both done it. It was like four hours (laughs) into the new year. Right. And that's right. Anyway. (laughs) And, and, um, and you mentioned something about the withdrawal rate. It's like, oh yeah, it's actually closer to 3%. And you know, then you, I think you sent me a spreadsheet and you're like, yeah, this is the, you know, this is what our, numbers were for annual spend. And of course, I mean, any idiot can do the backup math. math. And, and, and so I had some idea of what that was. And I was like, it just immediately, it's the comparison game. You know, you're just like, everyone has a bigger boat. I mean, you can be confident in this stuff, but there is a part of it that is not knowing. And you have to, you have to be comfortable with some of the not knowing. I think one of the things that having this business has taught me is just that some of that uncertainty and unpredictability is what makes life interesting and fun. And, you know, we're going to try and cover the downside as much as we possibly can, but yeah. you can't cover every possible scenario, which is why you have a 90% success rate and you're still, you still chose to go through with it. Right. Yep. That's right. And so it's just and, a matter yeah. of where, where do you fall on the, on that comfort scale? And I think, you know, when you told me your number and I eventually told you mine, um, I'm, I'm okay with it. Because I'm always looking to optimize and make it make it more real and obviously save more. Um, and I think you gave me kind of a, a, a bigger goalpost that I could, you know, strive for. And I, you know, I appreciate that you were willing to share that with me. And I, it's one of the things that I worry about 
with this and, and us not sharing our exact numbers and it's going to that it's going to feel disingenuous or like you know like we're withholding information but i, I don't know i mean i kind of struggled with yeah you know what do i share and what and and what i what do i not share what do i keep private you know and some of it is related to family too who yeah i know are watching here you know and i mean it's just yeah. weird <laughs> it is weird join us as the conversation continues next time on two sides of phi for show notes resources and links to the video version please check out our website at twosidesofphi.com. sides